Sometimes the doubt starts to win Yeah, I'd be lying If I told you I was anything but weak Right now my struggle's all I see But I'm not giving in My story will not end in defeat Cause nothing can stop it Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Really loud. Sorry. Um, Todd's out this morning, but uh, you know I'm not as good looking or as funny as he is. So, but anyway, y'all just bear with me. We'll get this thing going this morning. I uh, just want to welcome everybody that's here. Uh, looks like we got a couple new faces. Want to make sure that we uh, greet those guys and, and let them feel welcome this morning. I uh, want to welcome everyone that's joining us online and. Um, Got a few announcements to make this morning. So it's uh, church cleanup time, uh, Saturday, May 13th, 2023. I strongly encourage you guys to uh, show up and help us if you can on that on that Saturday. Um, we have kid, kids camp coming up this morning. Uh, I'm sorry, June 12th through the 15th. I was talking uh, this morning and. We still have quite a few uh, envelopes out there, you guys, that, that could help, uh, you know, that that sponsor that um, that camp. So let, let's make sure that, I mean, uh, I was we were joking around about it, though. I mean, if someone wants to uh, grab all of them and, and go ahead and do all of them, that would be great, too. You know, I don't know. I'll help with that. <laughs> but, uh, no. Um, and the, we're also going to be having a car wash, and it will be 
March uh, 19th or, or May, I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm in March. March is like way over there. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so is my brain right now. Okay, uh, it's May 19th, uh, it's gonna be four to 7 p.m. and that's gonna be in the church parking lot and that's gonna help sponsor some more of those, uh, some of that money that's, that's needed for the, the camp, okay, the kids camp. And I want to, um, I really would like to encourage you guys to on Wednesday nights, uh, we have a great food family, family and fellowship, but it's not the just the family and fellowship, you guys, that we're, uh, we're, we have a journey group for men and women's, and uh, if you can join us, come, come be a part of that, because it, it, it is a tremendous blessing on your life. We, we're glad to, uh, to do that and to help men and women and, and just everyday struggles and things that we go through in life. I mean, this thing is really helping a lot of people. So um, I think that's it this morning, okay? Oh, yeah, I just had a real quick announcement. Thanks, Mark. Um, my wife's not here this morning. If I can get a volunteer to come help me this morning, it'd be quick, it's easy. It's, I guarantee it'll bless you if you want to come out and just uh, help me serve. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate that. So, okay, so if I can get the man to come up here and join us this morning for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we want to first give you thanks and, and praise, Lord, for your faithfulness. Lord, thank you for being with us this morning. Lord, we just ask you to, to bless this offering that we're about to give. Lord, we ask you to bless the giver. We ask you to use this for your holy kingdom. Lord, we just thank you and praise you in all that you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
get used to brother Todd's uh, microphone here hopefully it stays on my ear everybody hear me fine good good I uh, am so excited that brother Todd and his wife can get away and uh, don't know what they're doing down in New Orleans but uh, don't, don't think the worst I think they're doing fine amen uh, this morning I have nine scriptures for those that count you know because a lot of people when they go to church they think you know how long is this sermon going to take well, I got, I got nine scriptures. When I get done, we're done. Does that sound good? By the way, I rejoice with you guys here, here this morning. And I'm sure anybody, absolutely. Uh, anybody that knows that story knows that is a big rejoice. And so, uh, glory to God. And, and Cheryl, your, your humility in all of this is wonderful. So, God bless you. Um, first of all, let's say hello to John and Renee. Yeah, uh, they're in New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, I don't know, where, New Mexico, okay, and uh, they're watching online, and uh, I told them I'd say hello to them, so uh, hello, and then uh, Bryce and Braden, you don't have to stand, you're sitting there, 
God bless you, you two young men. I met these two guys yesterday. They're, they're heading to Alaska as brothers. There's a third brother going as well, yes? Okay. And, uh, and I said, well, does his name start with a B? And they said, no, just, just our two names. And, uh, and so we got to talking because, you know, our four sons, they head up to Colorado every year for that 26-mile hike that they do, and they love it. Uh, and, of course, myself and my other two brothers, we've been fishing together in Wisconsin for 25 years together. So it's a great thing when brothers get together. And uh, they decided to come and uh, hear a little more of what I'm going to be talking about here this morning. So uh, I want to welcome you, and, and thank God Brother Todd can get away. But I want to talk to you this morning about the thing we often see in others that we rarely see in ourselves. Now, I want you to think about that. So, so start looking around and guessing what I'm going to be talking about this morning. What we often see in others that we rarely see in ourselves. Well, let's, let's pray and we'll get started here. Father, I am so sorry for the way we humans behave down here on earth. I know it all started in the garden, but I think of what happened here in Texas yesterday over in Allen and uh, senseless, but human. And I know we would have made the same mistakes Adam and Eve made and that our sin would have been passed down to all our descendants, but I'm still sorry for how we behave and how it affects innocent people. Father, we ask that you would take your word this morning and use it in our lives to change our lives so that we're not a part of the problem, we're a part of the solution. And may we keep the eternal perspective in Christ's name, amen. A real good friend of mine and hers, uh, I'm not gonna name names, but I've known him and his wife for about 40 years. In fact, I married him about 35 years ago. He just texted me the other day, he lives in Florida now, and he said, uh, Brother Brad, he said, uh, you really need to pray for my daughter. And he named his daughter, and I know his daughter. She's in her mid-20s. And I said, what's going on? Here's what he said. He said, she is so deep into the world that she doesn't even recognize her Savior anymore. And I said, so she's doing a Solomon. And he said, what's a Solomon? I said, well, that, you know, in the, in the Bible, 1 Kings, Solomon, the son of David, when he was 20 years old, he fell in love with the Lord. And David died, and he took over the kingdom as a young man, and, and he, he begged God to help him with running the kingdom. And then when he was 23 years old, he started the temple. It took him seven years to build that thing. And then after he got done with the temple, he started building his own house. By the way, he took 13 years to build his own house. Seven to build God's, 13 to build his own. Now do you see the direction his life's going to be going after this? When you start putting twice as much time into your own stuff instead of God's stuff? This is what happens. I said, and Solomon, by the time he was in his mid-40s, he was so far from God that he was sacrificing his own children from his 700 wives and 300 concubines. He was sacrificing his own children to false gods. Talk about rejecting Christ. You say, Solomon, the guy who wrote Proverbs? Solomon, the guy who wrote Proverbs. The guy who wrote the Song of Solomon? Same guy. So all this young lady is doing is doing a Solomon. That's all she's doing. Let's not make it difficult. Many of us probably in here have done a Solomon. We've gotten so deep into the world that we've lost sight of our Savior, the one who saved us. In the end of Solomon's life, obviously, he wrote his last book called Ecclesiastes. Now, he's probably 59, he dies at 60, we know that, so he's probably 59 years old here. So really, almost half his life from the time he's 30, when he begins to build his own house and get his, you know, focusing on himself and marrying all these women and everything else, most of his life is spent serving himself. And at the end of his life, he says, God, this ain't working out. It never does work out when you live for yourself. It just doesn't. 
Oh, it might work out for a decade or so, but it don't work out after that. And so he writes the book of Ecclesiastes and says, listen, don't make the same mistakes I made. I was, I was gifted by God with the, the greatest wisdom, and I, I didn't even use it for God. I used it for myself. By the way, you can use your gifts that God gives you for yourself. Be careful. Here's what he said in Ecclesiastes 7.8. You say, ah, I'm keeping score. You said there were nine scriptures. This is one. you got eight to go. <clears throat> I'm helping you here. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 8. <clears throat> Solomon says, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And by the way, Solomon would know, yes or no. Okay? Uh, if you follow the context in Ecclesiastes, you know Solomon is talking about finishing his relationship with God on good terms. That's what he's talking about. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. By the way, Solomon started out great serving God, yes or no? And then got away from God for 30 years. I started out getting saved and not doing anything for a couple years until God got my attention. But since that couple years, since I was 19, and now I'm pushing 70, I, I, I've been on track to serve my Savior. So it's not how you start, but how you finish. And how you finish is you finish your relationship you started the day you get saved with God. Note the second half of that verse, <clears throat> because it answers the why, as in why we don't finish well the race we started the day we got saved. Solomon says, and the patient in spirit is better than the what? Proud in spirit. Meaning those who patiently finish their race for God are better than those who have better things to do in life than serve the God who saved them. All due to pride. Did you catch that? This is what Solomon means in this verse. So look around you, because pride is the thing we often see in others that we rarely see in ourselves. Solomon said that this life, which is lived for Christ, which should be lived for Christ, <clears throat> is a life of self-denial and of strenuously pressing towards the mark. And it's better in its end than in its beginning. And the Apostle Paul agrees. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. By the way, doesn't it seem sometimes that our labor for Christ can be in vain? I go to church, and I, I read my Bible, and I pray, and I, I keep a spiritual schedule, and you know what? It seems like it's all in vain. Paul, underneath the Holy Spirit, said, yeah, it's going to appear that way sometimes. But don't let the vainness of it keep you from serving God. Keep going. Because that's what Solomon said. Don't, don't stop serving God like I did. No, keep going. And it might seem vain in your life at the time, but, but forget how you feel and just keep going. Living for Christ is going to feel in vain at times in your life. Why? Because living for Christ is a life of self-denial and of always strenuously pressing towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> you don't have to get back to God, folks, if you never get away from God. Are you listening? At 17, after I got saved, I didn't get right in my race. And, and of course, you know, that wasn't necessarily my fault, and God understood that. But at 19 years old, God got my attention, and he's had my attention ever since. Solomon, he grew up under David. He grew up under loving the Lord. He loved the Lord till he hit about 30. And then he started living for himself, and the rest of his life was spent in the world, in the flesh, and the devil, and all the rest of it. And, and until he was 59 years old, he, he was away from the Lord. And he said, I made a big mistake. Don't get away from the Lord no matter what comes into your life. Stick with God. You don't have to get back to God if you're not away from God. That's what Solomon was emphasizing here. Don't get away from God due to your pride. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Now, if you're a careful student, 
of God's Word, you'll find that the key word throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes is the word better. This word to be, by the way, it's mentioned 52 times in 12 chapters. That word to be, that's the Hebrew word, is mostly translated better, but it's also translated into six other different English words. It's translated into good, well, merry, joyful, pleasure, pleaseth, prosperity. However, the majority of the times this Hebrew word to be is used is translated better. Hence, that's the key word in the book of Ecclesiastes. The word literally means, are you ready for this? Gooder. <laughs> Gooder is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Meaning it's not how well we start our race for God, but how well we finish that race that matters to God. The question is, is does it matter to you, the individual Christian? And, and this is where we, we can't look around, we've got to look within. Does it matter to you? It matters to God. Does it matter to you? You know, we often talk about Demas in the New Testament who, you know, Paul said, so loved the world that he got away from God after serving with Paul all those years. He did a Solomon, yes or no? Just like this young lady has, is doing a Solomon, just like there's some people here that may have been doing a Solomon in their Christian life, or you know somebody that's doing a Solomon right now, Demas was doing a Solomon. But you know, Demas, how do we know that he wasn't just like Solomon and got back right with God at the end of his life? How do we know it? Now, the Bible doesn't say he got back, I'm sure this is what God's cheering him on to do. Demas, you know, all the Christians are criticizing you because you got away from God. Even the Apostle Paul, you know, it's in the book and, and people are reading about it. But, but that's okay. It, what matters is what I think. And what I think is, is you, you did a Solomon, but now do a complete Solomon and come back to me. So we don't know if Demas came back to, to God or not. We hope he did. Whenever I think of Demas... Solomon or the people have gotten away from God. I, I think of a man, and, and some of you might know him, Guy Hill. Okay, some of you know Guy. Uh, Guy and his wife Judy now live in a care facility down south. He got saved when he was young and then did a Solomon for, oh my goodness, decades, probably three decades just like Solomon. And probably 15 years ago, however long it was, he, he'll be the one to tell you the story. But through his daughter, he came to our church and, and he, he just got things right. And he got so excited for serving God. And, and I remember him, you know, I would allow him to come up and, and, and talk and, and say. And I had so many people in the audience that would come to me afterwards and say, why did you let him talk? He didn't deserve to talk. All I could think of is, I know they're dancing in heaven for Guy. Why aren't we dancing here for Guy? Why aren't we, we rejoicing like God was rejoicing over Solomon when he came back, or Demas if he ever came back? How come we're not rejoicing and encouraging that thing? How come there's, there's negativity towards this thing? This guy was away from God for a long time, and he got back. We ought to be jumping up and down that he got back forget about how long he was away from God he's back he texted me the other day he said brother Brad he said I was in the grocery store he said uh, I, I think her name was Alexis uh, don't don't you wouldn't know but in the text I think it was Alexis he said there was a girl in her 20s and she had bandages from her wrist to her elbows on both arms and so he went up to her and asked her what happened. And she said it was a chemical burn from something. And he said, now listen to this, can I pray for you? Now before I read the end of the text, I just said, glory to God. Guy is really back. He's concerned about people. And then I read the next line where the lady, Alexis or whatever her name was, she said, uh, no, thank you, I don't need you to pray for me. So he said, you know, I just was doing my shopping and uh, ran into her in another aisle, and that's when she came to me and said, uh, do you believe in God? He didn't initiate the, the speech, she did. 
And he said, yes. And he, and he started to give her the gospel. And she said, well, you know, <clears throat> I did get saved at a certain point in my life. But she says, you know, once you get saved, you, you, you can't do anything wrong again. <clears throat> so, <laughs> and if you do, you're not going to be saved anymore. Well, you know, what kind of defeated attitude is that? You know, we were talking, yes, sir, you can repent for salvation, but then once you get saved, you can repent over your daily sins. And, and so he explained to her that, you know, God is so loving that he isn't going to, you know, mistreat you now that you misbehave. He just wants you to get back right. He said by the time he was done with her, she still walked away misinformed. You say, what did you think? I'm doing cartwheels. Not because she's still misinformed, because Guy's in his race. Guy's still doing what he started out doing 15 years ago when he got back right with God. I mean, folks, this is what Solomon is saying. Don't do a me. I'm the wisest man that God has ever bestowed wisdom upon, and, and I didn't use it for God. I used it for me, and I messed up my life. Don't, don't mess up your life. Stick with God. And when a person comes back to God, we ought to be the first to welcome them back. <laughs> Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Does anybody know what scripture we're on? I, I, we only have nine. Three. Atta girl. Atta girl. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm going to get done here. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, he said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He was ready to die. He was up in Rome. He said, I fought. And you know the thing he worried about when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 4? He worried about being thrown to the lions. Instead, his head was chopped off. He says, I like that better because it's quicker. Well, common sense, yes? Yeah, done. But he says this, he says, I have fought a good fight, verse 7, I have finished my what? Yeah, my race, my course. I have kept the faith. Solomon's right, gooder is it to finish your race than to have better things to do in your life than serve the God who saved you. Verse 8, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. You can't love his appearing unless you're on your spiritual schedule and you're in the book, amen? Have you ever wondered why it is that so many of us as believers have a hard time finishing what we started the day we got saved? Look around you and how you look at others, and that should tell you why. Solomon says it's because of pride. It's the thing we often see in others that we fail to see in ourselves. Fact. In order for you and I to finish well, we've got to swallow something that's just about impossible to swallow. Ah, everybody knows what that is, isn't it? Pride. Think about the greatest preacher God ever made. Lucifer. By the way, Lucifer... We think that's an evil name. No, that was God's chosen name for the greatest angel that he ever created. It means son of the morning. That was, that was God's morning star for all the universe to see. Every angel that was ever created, this was the greatest angel God ever created. So Lucifer is a really pretty name. Now, the name was changed to Satan, to devil, and all those other names. But to begin with, this, this Lucifer angel was perfect. How is it the greatest angel God ever created could go so bad? Ezekiel 28, 14 through 17 tells us this. Here it is. Thou, Lucifer, verse 14, art the anointed cherub or angel that covereth or leads amongst all the angels. And I have set thee so, God said. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways, Lucifer, from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee, or sin. By the way, does anybody here know what that sin was? Pride. Goes on to tell you. It says, by the multitude of thy merchandise, speaking of Lucifer's success as the greatest angel God ever created, they, the successes he enjoyed, 
have filled the midst of thee with violence. He says, your successes have caused you to go bad. Big head. Pride. And thou hast sinned, Lucifer. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering or leading cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Now here it is. Catch it. Verse 17. Thine heart, O Lucifer, was lifted up. Why? Because of thy beauty and has corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness thus i will cast thee to the ground i will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee god said to the greatest most powerful creature he ever created your beauty and your brightness went to your head lucifer and hath blinded you and this is why it, it's the thing that we see in others that we don't see in ourselves because we're always looking around thinking, mm, they got a problem. Oh, he's got a problem. She's got a problem. When it should be, I have the problem. Pride is always the reason we have such a hard time finishing well our relationship with God. And it's the thing we see in others that we rarely see in ourselves. God put it this way in Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. These six, six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. What's the very first thing in verse 17 that's listed? A proud look. Pride. This is what destroys us. And if we don't battle it every day of our life, not, not just on Sunday, every day of our life, it will take over. And it'll, you'll end up doing a Solomon as much as anybody else can do a Solomon. Now turn to Numbers 12.1 and let's wrap this thing up. <clears throat> How many am I on now? How many scriptures? Six? Okay, that means we just have three left. Think how quick you're going to get out here today. Oh, you're liking that, aren't you? Okay. Numbers 12 and verse 1. And Miriam and Aaron, what's that next word? Spake against Moses. By the way, that word spake is the Hebrew word dawbar, and it's third person singular. You say, oh, spake, that's a verb. It can't be third person singular because there's two people mentioned before that word, and that's plural. Aaron and Miriam are two, and that's more than singular, yes or no? So how can that verb in the original language be singular? Because God is telling you who started all this controversy. And it's not only singular it's feminine in gender which means Miriam started this argument against Moses and Aaron her brother just chimed in this is how we know that going back to the original language verse 1 again and Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses why because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married for he had married an Ethiopian woman the reason Miriam and Aaron give for jumping down Moses' throat is because of a woman he married, an Ethiopian woman. By the way, the word, the Hebrew word for Ethiopian uh, here is Kushi, Kush. So she was a descendant of Kush, a dark-skinned one. But I thought his wife came from Midian. She did. Well, is, is Midian in Ethiopia? No. Midian is over a thousand miles from Ethiopia. Well, what in the world were... Oh, well, that, that, that meant her dad, Raul or Jethro, whatever you want to call him. That means he was from Ethiopia, but he, and he took his family all the way to Midian, which is a thousand miles away, to feed the flock. Who takes their flock a thousand miles away to feed their flock? You say, what are you getting at? We have no idea who this Ethiopian woman is. None. It could have been Zipporah, or it could have been another woman that, that left with the Israelites with the great multitude out of Egypt that left. We have no idea, but do you know that Bible scholars continue to argue about this point? What well, was she... Another woman Moses married? I don't know, could have been. Or was it Zipporah, who came from Midian? Well, I don't know. Did Zipporah come from Midian? Turn to Exodus 2, 
15 through 21. I believe this is the eighth scripture, seventh, eighth, somewhere. We're, we're getting close. Look what it says in verse 15. Now, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, the priest of Midian, Reuel, he's called Jethro later on, had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled their troughs to water with the father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to Reuel, their father, he, he's called Jethro in, in Exodus 3.1, he, Reuel, said, how is it that you're come home so soon today? And they said, well, there's this Egyptian guy, speaking of Moses, that delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. And, and Reuel says, well, bring that boy home. I got seven daughters. I need to start marrying them off. And he took one of them, Zipporah, and that's who married Moses. Well, that was like 40 years before they ever came into the promised land. And so was this Ethiopian woman actually Zipporah that they were talking about? Was she actually from Ethiopia or was this a new woman they married? You say, well, you know, we're Christians. We need to know the truth. There's no way of knowing the truth there. You say, well, then why do Bible scholars, scholars argue the point? Exactly. Why do they argue a pointless point? <laughs> There's always been a debate, a great debate among scholars as to who this Ethiopian was. Fact is, we have no idea. Nobody knows. You say, is that the point of the message? No. I brought all that up just to focus your attention on a pointless point. You say, why? Because I want to give you the real reason why Miriam and Aaron went after their brother Moses. One, because of the Ethiopian woman. That was an excuse. It wasn't the reason. You say, well, I didn't know that. Well, now you know. Numbers 12 and verse 2, and I'm done. Here's the real reason why Miriam, along with Aaron, spake against Moses. Verse 2, and they, both Aaron and Miriam, said to Moses, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by you, Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord hear, heard him talking. Lord always hears us. We might be grumbling and complaining about certain things, and you might not think anybody else hears that thing. God always hears it. Miriam started it. Aaron chimed in, and they said it was all due to the Ethiopian woman you married. And all the Bible scholars jump on verse 1 trying to figure out who the Ethiopian woman was. It doesn't matter who she was because she was not the problem. She was an excuse for the problem. You say, well, what was the problem? Well, when you read the chapter before, Numbers chapter 11, you find out that <laughs> Moses had to have help with all these two, three million people because they were coming to him morning, noon, and night, and he was wearing himself out, and, his, and I believe his, his father-in-law Jethro said, Let, you're wearing yourself out, get you some help. And so he appointed 70 elders to help him out. Smart, yes or no? And Miriam and Aaron said, you didn't consult with us. You picked 70 men without talking to us. God talks to us too, you know, Moses. See, they accused him of pride. No, he was just following God's orders to get 70 help, 70 men to help him. But they accused him of taking too much upon himself. When in fact, they're the ones that were filled with pride. Isn't it amazing how we see in others what's always in us? Pride is what we often see in others that we rarely see in ourselves. Jesus said to the Laodicean church in Revelation 3.17, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Sounds like the modern day church. 
where we got all these unbelievable buildings. We got Starbucks in the hallway. We got money flowing in from all over the place. Uh, you, you do realize this is why Jesus started the church when it was illegal to have buildings. The church did not have any buildings. They were not allowed to have a building for the first 400 years of its existence. Not until Constantine saw a flaming sword in the sky and said, well, let's just make everybody Christian. And then they were allowed to buy buildings and have property and money and all the rest of it. And this is what has taken our, our focus off of the real issue. The issue is there's a lost world. Jesus died for it, and we're supposed to tell them about it, yes or no? We're not supposed to pile up all the saints in one place and, you know, you pile up enough manure, it stinks. No, in order, in order for manure to work, you've got to spread it around, yes or no? He said this in verse 17, Because thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing, knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and, what's the next word? Blind. This is what pride does. It blinds us. Nothing blinds us quite like pride. C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see that which is above you. What he meant by that was, because our, of our pride, we often forget to look up and realize that God is watching us in our own pride. But we've got to recognize it. We've got to act upon it. Pride, it's the first thing we see in others and the last thing we see in ourselves. And that's what keeps a Christian from finishing well what he or she started the day they got saved. The, the number one excuse I have heard over the last 45 years of being in the ministry from, from Christians who, who got away from God for one reason or another, the, the, it, it's always because some deacon in the church did something to them. Or some person in the church, some Sunday school teacher. or so, Get your eyes off of people. Stop looking around and keep looking up. Stop blaming everyone else of pride. Your own pride is showing. Let me wrap this up here. If we're ever going to patiently and faithfully finish what we started the day we got saved, then we're going to have to avoid pride in our lives. Is that a simple message as you can get? Okay. And we're going to have to avoid it on purpose. The way we learn to better our life spiritually in order to finish our race is to recognize what pride is and then practice avoiding it. Practice. When I, you know, when I was playing football in, in, up in South Chicago 50 years ago, saw Davis Bullock at the 50th high school reunion. Davis Bullock was a, a fullback. And he was, he was mean. And one day the coaches all had me and him. I was on defense and he was obviously offense. And they just wanted us to keep hitting each other, hitting each other and hitting each other. And I, after about seven times in a row, he came into the same hole seven times in a row. And I knew where he was coming. And they called the same play out loud. So I knew it was coming. And as a cornerback, it was my job to fill it. We just keep hitting and hitting and hitting. After the seventh time, I thought, I'm going to die here. I mean, this guy's a fullback. And we, and, and we went one more time. And he walked off the field and quit the team. I could have easily walked off the field and quit the team. But here's what I learned. What you do in practice is what you do in the game. What you do as a believer every day of your life determines what you do in God's game plan for your life. The way we learn to better our life spiritually in order to finish our race is to recognize what pride is and then practice, 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 avoiding it. Now, how many here, after you heard what I had to say, and you're out of here before 11 o'clock, come on now, give me a hand. There you go. How, how many of you want to get started on practicing pride? <laughs> Let me rephrase that because some of you raised your hand. 
<laughs> How many of you here want to get started on practicing humility? Okay, okay, and I know, I know what you meant by that. But, but all of us should have our hands raised because this is what's going to keep us from finishing the race we started the day we got saved. It's just plain old pride. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people, y'all, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and... Every time, every time you and I feel a proud episode coming on in our life, you know, we start looking around at everybody else, accusing them of this when in fact it's us, like Miriam and Aaron did to Moses. Every time you do that, the first thing you ought to do is start praying. Because that's one of the nine ways that the Bible says to practice humility. The fact that Brother Todd has folks, you know, or has an opportunity for us folks to come up here before the service even starts and pray, that's an opportunity to practice humility. Why? Because pride is all a part of our life. The old nature in us is just full of pride. And the only way you combat that is by practicing. What you do in practice is what you do in the game. And we have to constantly practice this thing called humility. You don't possess humility, you just practice it. <coughs> you can't possess it. You still have your old nature. You're always going to have pride. But you have to combat it. And if you want to start, why not start praying? You say, are you going to have an altar call after this? Yeah. But, but, well, I can pray where I'm sitting. Yeah, you can. Glory to God if you do that. Pray, though, whatever you do. Even if you don't come, pray. Because prayer, according to 2 Chronicles 7.14, is one of the nine ways we practice humility. So as soon as I feel some kind of proud moment coming on, and I've done this a thousand times with my wife. We've been married 49 years. 49? 99? <laughs> but, but, you know, I, pride will start seeping in, and all I'm thinking, man, she's just full of pride. And maybe she thinks the same thing. I have no idea. It doesn't matter. I don't take care of her. I take care of me. First thing I start doing is saying, okay, Lord, we need to discuss this thing. God says, that. keep going. You're, you're, you're practicing humility. This is the only way you're going to combat pride. And if you don't continue to combat it, Brad, you'll be like all the rest of the Christians out there that never finished their race. Do you realize how many Christians don't finish their race? I, do you even comprehend how many are out there? If there's 30 million Christians that are saved in this country, I don't know how many Christians, there's 330 million Americans in this country, but if there's 30 million of them that are Christians, say 100 million, one-third of the population of America are Christians. I doubt that, but let's just say they are. Are all 100 million in their race? Not even close. So how do people stay out of the race? Well, only one thing, pride. Pride is what keeps us from patiently and faithfully finish our race, finishing our race. And sadly, it's the thing we all too often see in everyone else but ourselves. And so your job and my job is to practice humility. Now, you know one thing to do, pray. Can I give you another thing? Fasting. Deny the visible food in order to get a hold of the invisible, God himself, absolutely. You say, well, how, how long do I have to fast for? Well, you know what? Depends on how bad your pride is. If you got some pretty bad pride welling up in your old nature and knocking around the new nature inside you, then you probably ought to fast more often than somebody else. So well, how long, three days? In the Bible, Fasting is, is not mentioned a whole lot, but when it is mentioned, it's talking about a 24-hour fast from evening to evening. You say, oh, well, that means I don't have to miss a meal. Just 24 hours. Yeah, this is how easy God makes this thing, and yet we still don't do it. We still don't do it. You say, well, 
th th that's two of the ways to practice humility. Yeah, you got, you got seven more. So if those two ain't, you know, helping you out, which they should, then you got seven. Well, give me the other seven. No, you get them. You dig, you get them. Or go to my reference Bible and you can have them, amen? All right. Oh, it's 11.03. I went three minutes over. <laughs> Let's stand, shall we? And for those of you that want to practice a little humility, the altar's going to be open. You can pray where you're at. That's fine. Nobody's going to judge you whether you come or you don't. But the whole idea is you and I have an opportunity to combat this thing called pride that's in every one of us and it wells up. And the more you avoid practicing humility, the more you're gonna see pride in everybody else but yourself. And we've, and we've got to stop that if we're, if we're gonna finish the race we started the day we got saved, amen? All right, let's pray here. Father, thank you for our time here this morning. I pray that this helps uh, the people of God here at Covenant Fellowship. I thank you for Brother Todd and Sam, and I know they're away this week, and. We've got some folks that are out this morning, but Lord, it's your word, and, and we've got to live by your word. And so, Lord, we don't want to do a Miriam or an Aaron where we accuse somebody else of pride when it's our own pride that's accusing them of pride. And the only way we can do that is to practice humility on purpose. Lord, bless us here this morning. Bless this invitation. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. By the way, Bryce Braden, I got something for you after the service. If you stick around just for a minute, and then you can take off. And if you need somebody to take you out for lunch, I'll, I'll wherever you want to go to lunch, I'll have them take you there. <laughs> now, you'll notice no one will be talking to me right after the service. <laughs> So glad you guys could make, but I do have something for you if you if you stick around for just a minute after the service. All right, uh, let them know that you appreciate them being here today. You don't have to remember their names. Uh, you just have to remember it starts with a B, and that the third brother doesn't have a B name. So uh, I forgot what his name was, but uh, Kyle. Okay, Kyle. There you go. So so g give them a warm handshake and and thank them for coming and. Uh, let, let's, let's practice this thing called humility because it's the only thing that's going to combat pride in order for us to finish the race we started the day we got saved. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you again for your word and bless these good folks in Christ's name. Amen.